Grace and peace are yours in abundance through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So who's your doppelganger? Oh, or, or pastor, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, what's a doppelganger? Well, um, at, at, the, at the root of it, it comes from a German word that means double walkers. So it, it's your double that's out there walking around somewhere. You know, I think, well, I don't have one of those. I don't have a twin. And it's not talking about twins. It's talking about the person out there somewhere who's not related to you at all that bears a striking resemblance to you. Have you ever had a friend come up and, and say, hey, I was in the mall, I was in a store, and I saw someone, I thought it was you, and it, it wasn't. Or maybe you've noticed that. Oh, that looks just like someone else. And maybe you think, that must be their doppelganger out there walking around. Hey, here's, here's maybe some examples of, of what a doppelganger would be. There, there's two men who, they, they took a selfie of themselves when they found each other sitting next to each other on an airplane. They had never met before, but <laughs> that's what they looked like. Two guys with the same kind of beard, red hair, combed in the same way. The guy behind him was just like, what? And they, they realized they were do doppelgangers. And they said they went on the Today Show later. One of them's pretty tall. The other one's a little bit shorter. Uh, sometimes then you get the, the funny pictures where people put them up on the internet and say, oh, these people look similar. Uh, there's one of musician uh, Ed, Ed Sheeran, and they thought he looked a lot like a little baby. He's just kind of got a baby face. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that very well, but you get those silly things. Um, Famous people, like two people, and they both look like President Obama, but one is not. So uh, those kind of things, people who look similar. Maybe you've seen some of the other things where people look like their pets. Uh, this isn't one of them. I don't, I don't think it's actually his pet, but then you just get uh, these goofy ones where people are making the same face, a little Peyton Manning and his, and his dog. Um, I've heard from some of you, some of you have come up to me and said, Pastor, you know who your doppelganger is? You know who you look just like? And some of the, there's, I guess, I guess I had to look it up myself, but there's an acapella band group called Home Free, and they said, oh, Pastor, I think you look like, I think it's Rob, Rob Lundquist, so you, you can decide if you think so, which one is which, but <laughs> I tried to, tried to find one that, that fits. So I guess I've got a doppelganger, maybe I'm his doppelganger. Um, but that's what we're kind of looking at today. Who, who do we look like? And then when we get into God's word here, are, are we looking like the people of this sinful world? Or are we, as in the middle of this text that's going to encourage us to be, are we imitators of Christ? And how can we be imitators of Christ so that we too can be a little reflection of Jesus in this world? So as we kind of read through the text today, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. If you have a pen, you can just do this in your head too, but for some of you, you might um, appreciate being able to kind of write this down as we read through it. There's pens on the side aisles inside of those, uh, those leather um, friendship register fold-over pads, so if you need a pen, you can grab one there. And then I'll just read through our text for today, and underneath you can see that we have listed on there, not this, and then an arrow across, instead this. If you've been following along in Ephesians or going through Bible study with us, also in Ephesians, Paul's doing this now. He's told us who we are in Christ, 
And now he starts to say, what does this Christian life look like? Not this. Not anymore. That's the old self. That's the old you. But this, created in Christ, righteous and holy, this is what the Christian life looks like, empowered by Jesus. So maybe we can take note of some of these things, and then we'll dig into them. So, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of every kind of bitterness, rage, anger, quarreling, and slander, along with every kind of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God has forgiven us. Therefore, be imitators of God as his dearly loved children and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But do not let sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed even be mentioned among you as is proper for saints. Obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking are also out of place. Instead, give thanks. Certainly you are aware of this. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, who is God. <coughs> Let no one deceive you with empty words. It is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. So do not share in what they do, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So what kind of things did you notice? The, the before and after picture, the no longer this, <laughs> Instead this, instead of bitterness and rage and anger and malice, we have things like kindness, compassion, forgiveness. Instead of sexual immorality, we have purity. Instead of foul or obscene or dirty language, our mouths are full of thanksgiving. And finally, instead of darkness, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Bitterness, that, that old way of life that still creeps up inside of the heart of every Christian because we're at the same time sinners and saints. Uh, to, to be bitter is having sinful, resentful thoughts that just keep on uh, building up and, and seeping and leading to sinful actions. Maybe you've seen this, even in, even in close relationships, family relationships, and maybe more there because that's where it can just kind of keep on building up because you're seeing each other all the time. Christians in church, sadly, we see this kind of thing happen, don't we, where someone says something that's hurtful, the other person feels wronged, and, and neither want to forget about what happened, so the bitterness just keeps on building. And, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes, it makes the Holy Spirit upset and sad and disappointed when these kind of things happen 
with Christians. You also, it leads me to think, uh, what, what will you do when someone at church fails you? Well, what will you do when one of your ministers fails you? I, I speak about uh, 2,000 words every sermon, and one of these days I'm going to say something. Hopefully I, I say it wrong and, and accidentally really offend you, or just in personal conversations and things like that. One option will be to get bitter and to say, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. Someone has said something that has hurt me, and I pray that's not where it goes. And I won't let that happen for you when you say something eventually that's going to hurt me too. But instead of bitterness, apology, truthful speech, and forgiveness. God wants us to watch out for bitterness, especially as Christians. I'm convinced that Satan does far more harm to his people from within the church from relationships that get ugly with each other than he does from unbelievers coming and attacking the church in some way. Watch out for it, not this. That would be enough to bring us to our knees and see how we've failed God, but but Paul goes on, not this, but this, in verse 3. Not not even a hint of sexual immorality is how the, the NIV translated it. Let it not even be mentioned, sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed. God made his gift of sex to be blessings for his people within the boundaries of marriage. And any sex outside of that boundary, outside of marriage, is wrong. And we understand that to an extent. Don't engage in a sexual relationship outside of of where you are married, but yet we find ourselves sometimes trying to see, oh, is, is, is that really where the line is, or can I push it even farther? But God's word says not even a hint, not even anything that can lead somebody to, to mention that they think you're engaged in something sinful. Maybe the engaged or the dating couple takes a look at their individual rent payments and thinks, wouldn't we save a lot of money if we could just move in together before we're married and before too long start to rationalize all the reasons why that would be a good idea. And yet God's word says, don't even give up a hint of impurity, of looking, not, don't look like this, look like a pure child of God so that no one even has a question. Don't put yourself in the realm of temptation day after day. Not even a hint. The way we dress should glorify God. The magazines, books, and websites that we look like should get, look at should give glory to God. The jokes that we make, the words that we say, shouldn't even give a hint at anything that's improper. If you ever have to stop and say, I wonder if this would be a good idea for me to do or not, that's probably a good sign that just stop take a step back, because it's probably not. you got the questions that the catechism class always has in their head when you get to the Sixth Commandment talking about sexual sin, and sometimes they're brave enough to ask it about, well, what is the line exactly? How far can somebody go? And those aren't the questions that we want to be asking God. It's not how close to the line can I get without accidentally maybe stepping over into sin. But how can I love God and his good design enough that I, I keep it holy and separate for when God blesses me with that in marriage. 
Paul would go on, and this is, is, is a heavy section. We've got the, the language, the obscene and foul language. And, and maybe we should think about not only how we speak uh, verbally to people in the same room, but nowadays we also have to think about how we speak online and the things that we say there. And it can be so easy because we don't actually have to look that person in the eye and say it to them, and the, the fingers can just send off something, something rude, angry, but instead, God wants our language to be full of thanksgiving God, building each other up. Here's an example of why we dare not hang out right next to the edge of sinfulness. Why, why we don't keep on living like we were before. Because verses 5 through 7 say that wrath is coming. Do not be partners with them. God's anger over sin is real. His wrath is coming. He will punish sin. And God's wrath ends with condemnation forever in hell. Be imitators of God. How am I supposed to do that? Be imitators of God. Maybe there's churches out there that would kind of end the sermon about here and say, all right, we've, we've made the list. Don't act like this. Do act like this. Stop being bad, bad, badder, and start being gooder. Amen. Go and act like Jesus. But Paul doesn't end there. And Paul doesn't leave us with this on our shoulders to be able to go and start looking like God. Be imitators of God. And the only way that we can do that is to first confess these sins to the Lord, to take them off of our shoulders and to put those sins on Jesus' shoulders where they truly and finally belong. And on Christ's shoulders, you know that those sins are fully forgiven as he took them to the cross. So we can be forgiven and empowered by the good news of the gospel. Our speech doesn't always build others up, but God's word <coughs> always fortifies and builds us up. It benefits us when we listen to it. It saddens the Holy Spirit when we pull away from his word and pull away from him, but look how the Holy Spirit holds on to us. Our scripture lesson says, through the Holy Spirit we were sealed for the day of redemption. He brought us into his family. He marked us and said, you are mine and I'm not going to let go of you. At your baptism, that happened. We might start to think, how am I going to be kind and compassionate when I have every right to be angry when I was wrong? I have every right to be mad, and we have to listen to what God's Word said. It leads us to pull our eyes off of the person who wronged us and direct our eyes to Christ and how He responded to us the one who forgave us, just as in Christ God has forgiven us, the very one who had every right to be angry or seek revenge on the people that would put him on the cross. Instead of us being an imitator of him, we couldn't handle that. He came and stepped into our place. And to the outside world, he looked like a human just like any one of us, and he was in every single respect except that he was not a sinful human who imitated us in our sins. Jesus brought us close to him. He draws us to himself, the gospel lesson said. Later in John, he would say, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people 
to myself. Jesus didn't look anything like what I would expect the Son of God to look like on the cross as he's suffering and dying as a sacrifice for our sins, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God as he gives himself up for us. Instead, he looked like us and what we deserve, punishment with God's wrath coming down on us on the cross. But that's because he truly was standing perfectly in our place so that we could have his righteousness, his perfection, and his holiness. So dearly loved children of God, be imitators of God as his dearly loved children. When you see the before and the after picture of who you truly are and through the power of God and his word, who you can be, then we can say, Lord, how can I imitate you? How can I look more like you? And maybe we also start to just naturally imitate our Father as we're dearly loved children of God. Did that happen in your family at all? Imitators, maybe with with the kids, imitating what their parents do, hopefully not just in snarky remarks as they say back to you in the same tone that you did. But this one happens in pastors' families quite a bit. You'll hear the stories of all of a sudden you'll notice the kids with like their stuffed animals and they're baptizing them or something like that, or spreading out their, their snacks and doing communion for their toys or something like that. I'm not saying that happened with my kids, but I've, but I've heard that that happens, imitating. Um, how has, has that happened for you? Maybe uh, the kid who's t- typing on the keyboard, answering phone calls, um, g- going and studying the electrical equipment or something, because they see how their mom and dad do that, and they want to imitate them. They, they want to be like they are. We've seen what our Savior is like, and we want to look like him. We want to be like him. We also want to be like him in our forgiveness. So when we look at this text and we see all these different kinds of sins, and when we look at people inside and outside of our doors, it means that we're not here to say, there's no place for the kingdom, in the kingdom of God for you. You who have sinned sexually or, or speak like that or have that kind of malice or that kind of language, all that darkness... We're not even there to say, you can come in as soon as you've cleaned up your act enough. We're reminded that Christ has forgiven the sins of the whole world, mine and yours and every sin. And I'm here to remind you that in God's sight, no matter what you've done, you are seen as pure and holy as if you'd never sinned. The Bible says in this last verse, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Imitators of God, imitating and reflecting the very light of the world, Christ himself. And when people see you sometimes, they'll notice someone else. And for a moment, they might just think you're someone else. Not because you look like another person, but maybe just because you are just a glimpse of the Savior that they need to see. What he's like. What his heart is like. But it's really amazing. It's not just saying you are reflecting light in the Lord. But it says you were once darkness. It it was a problem. But now you are light in the Lord. You are actually light. Christ is in you, producing light 
within you, you've been transformed and you are a new creation. You can imitate God because you have Christ in you. You are a child of God, sealed, forgiven, loved, and holy. We can live as a child of light. So how do we do this? So we can go back and look at the not this, but this. Think about our communication. Let our, let our speech just be filled with words that give thanks to God and build each other up. Maybe you're in a relationship that's not appropriate sexually. God's word and his people can give you power to repent and change and live a different kind of pure life. Who in your life can you show compassion and kindness to? Are there people in your life that you could call, visit, check in with, maybe even those whom you haven't for a while? Forgiveness. I, I pray that if anything has happened to you in or outside of our church that, that is, is making you or people you know feel more distanced, that it can be encouraged to come and talk about it and receive both apologies and forgiveness and strength and, and new life together. Peace. So who's your doppelganger? Or better yet, who is the one who is, what was the definition for doppelganger? Double walker? Who's, who's not just walking around distant from you, looking like you, but the one who is walking double right there with you. The one who changed you. That's your Savior, Jesus. He's the one we want to imitate because we've transformed, been transformed with his life for his forgiveness. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Amen.